Greetings from the humongous. Roads? Where we're going, we don't need roads. I don't know what the hell's in there. It's weird and pissed off, whatever it is. Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together. This is the chopper! I'll have what she's having. Hey, Dr. Jones, no friends for love! Hey, hey, Sal, how come the brothers on the wall here? You want brothers on the wall? Get your own place, you can do what you want to do. You are nothing but unorganized, grabastic pieces of amphibian shit! Society made me what I am. That's bullshit. Yeah, that's simply the way they talk here. Nobody pays any attention to you unless you swear every other word. What did the pajamas look like? I don't know. They were jammies. They had Yodas and shit on them. It's such a fine line between stupid and clever. He sends one of yours to the hospital. You send one of his to the morgue. That's the Chicago. How you doing? I'm all right. How are you? I'm great. And, uh, of course, we're continuing our epic drive through the cinema of the 80s. And uh, I don't know about you, Steve. I, I feel kind of funny tonight. You feel funny? I think we should improvise a podcast right here. <laughs> should we be driving? Is this safe? I don't know. <laughs> I, I may feel too funny to drive, but we'll see how it goes. If we got to pull over, we'll pull over. But... Uh, Today, of course, is probably a good thing we feel funny because we'll be talking about uh, comedy films of the 80s. Yeah. Uh, a big, a big, big field, Steve. <laughs> it's a big field. Uh, what's your take on the comedies of the 80s? Is the, was the 80s a good decade for comedy? Yeah. I would say the 80s were a good decade for comedy. Uh, I don't. Comedy is one of those things where uh, I don't know if I have a favorite decade that uh, it's just like as taste change in comedy so there are things that i found funny at the time and some of which i still find funny and then there are different things i found funny in other decades but all sorts of funny movies from the 80s and a lot of them i think hold up pretty well i agree i i actually think uh, 80s was a pretty pretty great decade for co comedy uh i'm not gonna say that the 80s like changed the game of comedy in the same way the musical films did in the 80s but uh i think there was just a lot of very very good comedic movies in the 80s and and movies that kind of remained um classic to this day uh many many years later and uh a movie that kind of rung in the comedy of the 80s was airplane the movie remember airplane airplane yeah uh, classic Zucker, Abram Zucker production. These guys started out doing kind of spoof movies in the 70s. They did a thing called Kentucky Fried Movie, which was actually... Well, Air yeah, and even Airplane's kind of a spoof on uh, a lot of disaster. There were uh, not natural disasters, but there are a lot of movies in the 70s where like a boat crashes or uh, you know, like my parents' first date was to go see The Towering Inferno. <laughs> Yes. Uh, 
Yeah, I mean, Airplane was definitely a spoof movie. What I'm saying is that like they sort of started in the 70s, and it was a little bit low rent. The Kentucky Fried movie, if you've ever seen it, they basically took pot shots at a whole bunch of different stuff. They created they had a structure in that film they could make fun of anything. And then th- their next film is Airplane, and Airplane, they seem to be zeroed in pretty good on that genre you were talking about, the disaster film genre, where you either have a looming... A skyscraper fire or earthquake or meteor or a plane crash, which was usually the most common scenario. Uh, and uh, they did that. I mean, they definitely spoofed that subgenre, or if it is even that. But uh, I guess it is a subgenre, right, Steve? It's a sure. Uh, but they not only spoofed that subgenre, but they they took on a whole bunch of other stuff while they were at it. And it's kind of I mean, that movie is hilarious. It holds up. Everybody knows lines from it. Uh, I am serious, and don't call me Shirley. Of course. Uh, And tons of other stuff. There's tons of great actors. It brilliantly uses actors from previous decades, shall we say, older guys who, in some ways, we didn't know were so funny. I mean, did did you know that Robert Stack was that fucking funny? (laughs) I, I didn't. And apparently he really was. And, of course... Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, pretty funny in the movie. <laughs> and uh, and Lloyd Bridges, of course, also hilarious. Probably the most hilarious in that movie. Next to Leslie Nielsen, of course. Who yeah. also, up to that point, was like a you know dead serious, dramatic actor. And after that point, became a friggin' comedic superstar. As a result of Airplane and other and the TV show he did, Police Squad, and then the the rest of the Zucker Brothers oeuvre, which was uh, the Naked Gun series. When did that start? Was that in the 80s? Oh, yeah. 88 was the first Naked Gun movie. Yes. Yes. And did they squeeze another one into the decade, uh, the second one uh, uh, into the 80s? Or just is that 90? uh, 91. But, just uh, missed. Just the missed Naked it. Gun, two and a half. Two and a half. It's very good. And then the thirty-three and one third. Well, the first Naked Gun is is fantastic, but but it's not Airplane, obviously. And uh, Airplane was huge. It didn't seem like a particularly high budget film, uh, so this it must have been super successful for the studios. And and um, and again, with comedies, the proof's in the pudding. Everybody knows that film. It's in the zeitgeist, and uh, and that's of course a huge compliment. Yeah, and, and it's, it's hard to separate how much of a like there's just styles of humor from the Zucker brothers that I don't know of a lot of examples before them but they're so common now that it, you just take them for granted and one of the things they did was bring some of the chaos you usually associate with animation to like a live action movie where just there were no rules like they would and I don't mean like there's no rules about what's funny I mean they would defy like the laws of physics in their movie you know, like, oh, yeah. like, oh, yeah. like characters would just appear out of nowhere. There would be like a doll where previously there wasn't one. And uh, and it all just worked great. And it kind of it's the type of jokes that you, a lot of times you watch their jokes and you go, not only is that funny, I can't believe no one ever thought of that before because it's just sitting there waiting for you. You know, they have hilarious, they have like miniature set pieces in their films, and uh, they're just really good. I'm a big fan of their follow-up 
uh, to Airplane because, like, there's Airplane 2, right? Uh, and I like Airplane 2. Airplane 2 is a funny movie. But I don't think they did that one. I don't think the Zucker Brothers did that. I'm sorry. No, Here I don't think my... uh, they don't have anything to do with it. Yeah. That it didn't have anything to do with it, but surprisingly, it's still pretty damn good. But what they did have something to do with was a film called Top Secret that was kind of a weird spoof on spy films, World War II melodramas, and Elvis Presley movies. Uh, and it's just a weird, like, how do you come up with this mishmash? And, um, man, I just watched that a few days ago, Steve, and it's fucking hilarious. It stars Val Kilmer. Uh, I mean... That's basically it. Peter Cushing makes a cameo in it, but for the most part, it's Val Kilmer movie. Uh, and Val Kilmer was completely unknown at that time. I remember seeing it in the theater and loving the movie, but Val Kilmer, you know, was just like just some guy in the lead. And now, sort of in retrospect, I see how good Val Kilmer was in that movie. He had to do a lot of singing, a lot of dancing. He had to be charismatic, kind of Elvis Presley-like. And... Uh, I don't know. That movie's really funny. It's got a lot of great set pieces and a lot of gags. And, and you know, to me, like, the Zucker Brothers kind of are, they're kind of the followers of Mel Brooks, right? I mean, they certainly work in the same general arena. Yeah, Mel Brooks and then also uh, Monty Python, who I think we'll mention them a little bit later. But that, that kind of absurdist humor, that the Zucker Brothers are like that. But you're right. They are like... Uh, not that Mel Brooks was really considered that subtle, but the Zucker brothers were like even less subtle. Yes, they're less subtle than, than, than Mel Brooks. And they're also like Mel Brooks on a lot of cocaine. So in a, in a sense that while Mel Brooks is going to throw a funny joke at you and uh, he's going to take his time with it a little bit, you know, by the old standards, it was fast, but by the post Mel Brooks standards, by post Zucker brothers, it's kind of slow. It's actually kind of luxurious. He's winking at the audience a whole lot, where the Zucker brothers in that time will give you ten more jokes. And um, and that's sort of been the pattern. You know, there's been a lot of movies in that vein, the straight-up spoof movies, satires of other other genres and other films. But, you know, I don't think it ever got any, any better than the Mel Brooks stuff from the 70s or Airplane or Top Secret, or Naked Gun to a large extent. I think those guys were kind of masters of that, and everybody else is just kind of copying them, the people in that field. So props given to the Zucker brothers and Mel Brooks. <laughs> yeah. Their spiritual godfather. Uh, I wonder what Mel Brooks actually thinks of the Zucker brothers. Does he hate them, do you think? I mean, comedians uh, are terrible, terrible, mean people. Well, uh, Mel Brooks is actually supposed to be a sweetheart. And oh, uh, so I, you know, I with with no knowledge whatsoever, but uh, I would have to imagine he would like him. But uh, no, Mel Brooks is actually supposed to be a lovely man who's uh, kind to other people and uh, and still being nice and kind even at age he's almost ninety, I think. Yes, yes. God bless Mel Brooks. He's definitely the kind of the godfather of modern comedy, if you think about it. Uh, but or maybe I should say godfather of postmodern comedy because. Again, with Young Frankenstein and, uh, and Blazing Saddles, he definitely kind of refined the, the, the movie parody genre, you know, that you could make a whole movie around a parody of one, either a genre or even a specific film or series. Yeah, yeah Airplane was a good example of one of the things I noticed about the 80s comedy overall, like you're talking about Mel Brooks and that kind of absurdist style of humor that it... 
it's kind of absurd, kind of postmodern, but there's stuff that was percolating in the 70s that in the 80s really exploded into the mainstream and became like huge moneymakers. So just that kind of mindset of um, like a mocking, making fun of like the absurdities of everyday life, the things all around us are not just that they're silly, but you know, they're kind of ridiculous. And there's the whole uh, there's the Saturday Night Live guys. You know, obviously that show started in 75, but by the 80s, those guys are making movies. We'll talk about them. But the Saturday Night Live, uh, the SCTV guys from Canada, the National Lampoons guys, yeah. all these guys, like, really flourished in a big way in the 80s. Really made their mark on comedy, you know, throughout the decade, I think. Yeah, that's, that's for sure. That's for sure. And that, you know, that kind of brings us to... You know, what I feel is kind of the next stage of comedies, like good comedies out of the 80s. And those are kind of, uh, and, and, and strangely enough, I think these are uh, uh, mo- movies related to what you were just talking about, starting with Caddyshack. But I think what we're talking about, of course, is the rise of Rodney Dangerfield as a movie star. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's an amazing phenomenon, right? Rodney Dangerfield has been around for decades, was a writer to a lot of top comedians, was kind of supported himself and his family, uh, you know, writing jokes for other comics. And he kind of became legendary like that. And then he developed the Rodney character that we all know. And um, lo and behold, he, uh, he gets a role in uh, Caddyshack and, Bam, a star is born. Who'd have thunk it? You got yeah. like a middle-aged kind of a borscht belt comedian with definitely a good gimmick but and, and who is brilliant, of course. But, uh, you know, just out of nowhere, Rodney becomes a big star and he follows up Caddyshack with two pretty excellent films, in my opinion. One is called Back to, uh, Back to School and the other one is called Easy Money. Easy Money came first and it's him and Joe Pesci. It's great it's just a great concept. He's like a middle-aged photographer who just is a partier, you know, who loves all the things that, you know, middle-aged dudes loved back then, you know, booze, drugs, broads, the whole thing. And then he has to quit all of these things if he wants to inherit his mother-in-law's fortune. And the movie is basically him trying to, like, set his life straight with the help of his best friend, Joe Pesci, which is seems like would be a terrible person to guide you straight but <laughs> i've actually and never seen true. that that's great yeah i've never seen that movie that sounds highly great. highly highly recommend easy money it's funny it's it's very uh, politically incorrect so get ready uh but uh but it's 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 very good and uh and then the follow-up back to school that that movie is is kind of a comedy classic in a funny way uh rodney's like a middle-aged schlub going goes back to college with his son to get his degree and uh hilarity ensues uh there's a you know robert downey jr's in it and there's a lot of uh, uh high diving shenanigans yeah, there's high diving rodney. shenanigans yes you would not expect that from rodney dangerfield but in fact rodney dangerfield was actually a high diving champion back in college i believe and and uh so it's funny that like that made it into the the movie it's obviously not a coincidence but uh but that movie is really good it's funny it holds up pretty well 
Sure, it's not politically correct, but who wants that, right? Who wants that when you're watching your 80s comedy? We're going to return to that theme several times in this podcast about there were things that were funny that now you're like, well, just times are a little different. Well, you know, I mean, all of these movies, starting with Caddyshack, are just over the top and crazy and, and just have a lot of people behaving badly. That's what we responded to back in the 80s, I guess. That's what was funny to us. Yeah, well, Rod, you are right. I mean, of all, you know, there, there's certainly other comedians. Uh, what's the guy, Ernest? Who? Uh, oh God! Yeah, yes. like there, there's certainly. Party. Yeah. yeah, there are other comedians who have kind of like a shtick. Who, you know, they might even achieve movie stardom. But, but you're right. The Rodney Dangerfield of all the shticks that you think would probably not translate to movies, that's got to be up there. I mean, right? Like an aggrieved older guy who's just. <laughs> Right, right. Who doesn't get who doesn't get any respect? I mean, Rodney's Rodney's whole bit is that he doesn't get any respect. But the funny thing is that the characters he plays in those movies is not the Rodney character of the stand-up, right? Like the the no respect guy. Hey, I get no respect. Yeah, that's my that's that's all I'm gonna do as far as it's not bad. That that's not bad. This is not one of my better ones. Uh, but. That's not the character he plays in Caddyshack. Think about the character he plays in Caddyshack. Yeah. He's an obnoxious rich guy who's actually kind of all right, you know, kind of like uh, is a champion of the little guy. Um, and the character he plays in Easy Money is also not the I don't get no respect he, in fact, doesn't get a lot of respect in that film, but for different reasons. Uh, and uh, and then in Back to School, he's a, you know he's a pretty pretty all right protagonist. Again, he's a successful working class dude who who has a lot of street smarts, and people do actually respect him quite a bit in that movie. Uh, maybe more than they should based on what he does, but. Uh, but it's interesting that, like, his film persona was very different from his stand-up persona. Uh, but, you know, um, the 80s, big time for stand-up comedy, right? Big time for stand-up comedians who went into the movies, right? Yeah, and then also the um, both stand-ups and then improv guys who are, like, a little bit of a, a different breed. But, oh, yes. Uh, yeah, so, you know, the National Lampoon, I know, was, it was, like, humor guys from Harvard, but it's kind of interesting how much those guys overlapped with the Saturday Night Live things. And, you oh, know, yeah, Anna, so, you know, Animal House obviously came out in the late 70s, and that was kind of the one of the first big ones. But, you know, speaking of asshole stars, maybe we should take a little time now to talk about Chevy Chase. And, oh, uh, my God. And I should... Huge uh, star, right? Well, huge star, and this is where I have, like, uh, confession seems like a strong word, but... The charm of Chevy Chase has mostly eluded me. Like, I uh, I have seen some Chevy Chase movies I like, uh, but usually my favorite movies involving Chevy Chase are where he's either not the star or not the main star. You know, like, I'm that uh, all the Chevy Chase, like, vehicles, um, I don't know. I just, uh, like, right. whether it's Vacation or uh, Fletch or Funny Farm or any of that stuff, I've just always he always left me a little cold which i know is kind of part of the bit like uh part of the idea is that chevy chase is always aloof yeah but, uh, i you it, know it's just fascinating to me because like as somebody who's you know just a little a little younger for that stuff 
Like, the idea that when Saturday Night Live premiered, that everybody would watch that show and be like, well, obviously, Chevy Chase is the biggest star. I'd be like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, you obviously, John Belushi is the biggest star from the the original cast of Saturday Night Live, but not Well, I guess what I meant was that... Well, yeah, that's what I mean. Like, Chevy Chase famously left the show after one season. Oh, yeah, he was out of there. Well, but... Not just because he was fed up with the show, but because he was like, I am, like, after one season, he's like, I am too big for this show. And yep, <laughs> John Belushi did not have that attitude for a solid not, five no. years. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Belushi is uh, legendary, and, uh, you know, sometimes death does happen to be a good career move for what it's worth. And for Belushi, it basically turned him into a legend, uh, where... Whereas with Chevy, we had to watch him kind of flame out and turn into just like a bitter old asshole over the last few decades. And it's not a pretty, it's not a pretty, uh, uh, picture. No. <laughs> so, you know, so there's that, but you're totally right. He, they were grooming him to be a big star. And I think it was, uh, it was weird, man. It was like, like, he does seem like a bit of a dick and he always seemed like a bit of a dick. Like just, if you read some of his quotes from that era, like a huge ego kind of confrontational, sarcastic, but in a unpleasant way. Yeah. Um, I think he was one of those guys who, whose ego kind of messed up his career a little bit, but, uh, but I actually do do like vacation quite a bit. Uh, and, uh, and I think he's great in Caddyshack. Like, I have no no issues with his performance. That's probably my favorite Chevy Chase performance. But uh, uh, I don't know. Vacation's pretty solid, I think. You know, it's a pretty funny movie. I, it, it, and it holds up okay. Uh, it's definitely one of, one of his best. But I hear you. It's an interesting thing, right? Isn't it, Steve? Like, uh, sometimes you just, with comedy, it's weird. Because sometimes if you don't connect to your lead comedic character or actor and sometimes both um there's really not much you could do right i mean you're you're out of there yeah i mean i i suppose there there may be some movies that have been so funny they've overcome like an actor i dislike you know but uh but if you hate like especially like a comedic performer if if you don't find somebody funny and they're trying to be funny it can be pretty grating yeah. And, yeah. and you know, sometimes there's different styles for different people. And I understand. Like, I know in recent, for example, I love Danny McBride. Yes, and, uh, love Danny. My wife, I don't know if she can tolerate him okay, but certainly he kind of bugs her. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's hard for her to enjoy, say, Eastbound and Down or something, whereas I'm... I'm like all in, like I'm just like, well, anything he does is like just watching him walk around a room is funny. Yeah, well, that that's the thing, and 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 that, it is very much in in the opposite direction. Like I was saying, like you can really not connect to a comedic actor. You could seriously connect to a comedic actor, but there were certainly a couple of stand people who came out of very successful comedic career, careers as stand-up comics who really became gigantic movie stars in the '80s, and those guys are. Uh, uh, Steve Martin and Robin Williams, and uh, and of course, we mustn't forget the biggest one of them all, Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy. Uh, these these three guys were just just built incredible 
incredible careers, particularly in the 80s. Eddie Murphy obviously has had his ups and downs over the, the decades, but both Robin Williams and Steve Martin um, certainly went on to do a lot of different and interesting stuff, especially Robin Williams as an actor, you know? And uh, so with Robin Williams, it was like, well, even if you don't think Robin Williams is funny, there's quite a few movies Robin Williams is in where his funniness is kind of irrelevant. He's just a excellent actor. Yeah, uh, I mean, Robin Williams is like trained at Juilliard and stuff. Like, he's... he's right, uh, right. He's, he certainly has, like, some of the heaviest chops of a lot of these comedian guys. Like, he, he was actually probably... I mean, I know he did stand-up, but, like... He was Robin, a huge stand-up guy, man. I mean, it was his I whole just life. Mean, prior to stand-up, Robin Williams was arguably, like like a theater actor guy who got into comedy as opposed to most of these guys are like comedy guys who later did some acting. Well, yeah, I see your point. I see your point. I think with Robin Williams, it was obviously a calling because Robin Williams wrote his own material. He kind of created what he does. Only Robin Williams did what Robin Williams did as a stand-up comic, right? I mean, you could say like he influenced guys like Jim Carrey and obviously other people as well, but you know, when Robin Williams started doing his thing, he was uh, unique. He was yeah. a unique stand-up presence. And uh, amazingly it translated pretty interestingly into a very, very excellent film career. Yeah, so Robin Williams is, you know, we We've known him forever, but, like, in the 80s, for the first part of the decade, he did a couple movies, but he was mostly, like, you know, Mork and Mindy was on, and he had he was on SCTV, too. And, uh, right. So his he didn't really have a big hit in the 80s, I'd say, until Good Morning Vietnam in 87, which was, of course, a gigantic hit. But um, in, in 1980, a movie we didn't talk about in our musical episode, Andre, is uh, Popeye. Yes, Popeye. Right, I mean, what a—that's a crazy ass movie. I can't believe we forgot about it. Mainly because, like, the—I—I I, I think the songs in that movie are so irritating that I didn't want to really think of it as a musical. Uh, but, uh, but it is actually a pretty original film. You got to give it that. It is. I mean, I have a soft spot for that film. It's one of those movies that I'm sure every family has one that, like, for whatever reason, you'll have a couple weirdo movies that somebody in your family <laughs> likes. So then you just wind up seeing. So, like, I wound up seeing Popeye, like, 72 times as a child. And it's an odd choice. Whoa. But, well, like, I had aunts and uncles who just unironically loved it. They just thought it was great. And uh, I always say now it's um, – I apologize if any of our astute listeners if I've made this joke before. But I'm saying one day I'll tell my son about, like, you know, the great movie directors of the 70s. And I'll be like, you know, one day – producer on a lot of coke picked up a, an auteur on a lot of coke and they got a star with a lot of coke and they said you know what we should do guys is a live action movie a live action musical based on an out of favor old cartoon that was not a musical in any way shape no or form. no <laughs> i know it's kind of charming isn't it yeah i mean that's like i mean to me that was just like some kind of a last burp of the the 
old new Hollywood, you know what I'm saying? Like the seventies guys where like anything went and they were willing to go out on a limb. The eighties was not about that clearly. Uh, but Popeye felt like it was still kind of a byproduct of that. Oh era. yeah. It I felt think like you totally ultimate, nailed it. It's the ultimate like hubris of like, those guys just looked at it. It almost <laughs> seems like they lost a bet and they're like, fuck it. We're going to make this movie. <laughs> <laughs> they made it, man. They made it. And, and everybody seems so committed in the film, yeah. but you know, it, it, it was a weird film career start. Robin Williams. I mean, the, clearly it was a weird one. But man, he was he was really good as Popeye. I mean, for all the craziness of the film, you cannot fault the casting of that film because him and Shelley Duvall were great and sweet great. together, yeah. and and it just it somehow it works. I' not saying I can't imagine any other actor playing Popeye, but man. I, I, it's hard to imagine somebody playing him better, you know. So yeah, if if so. any if anyone's never seen Popeye, I do kind of recommend it. I, it's not exactly good, but it's it's thoroughly enjoyable on a kind of a like what the fuck is going on level. <laughs> right, and it looks cool. It's it's one of those weird things because it's got that whole Robert Altman thing going where yeah. people are talking at the same time. But in this movie, people are really weird, broad characters with funny voices and you really wonder whether that technique is appropriate for the for the material but uh whatever it is what it is we're talking about it and uh and a lot of people do love their popeyes so god bless them and uh let's move on like like what do you think robin robin williams is like really big breakout thing which was good morning vietnam like are you a fan of good morning vietnam uh, I'm a fan of it, I guess, in memory. I haven't seen it in a long time. Uh, I do, you know, at the time it came out, I was pretty young, and I remembered it affecting me all the ways it was supposed to. Like, I found the funny bits funny and the touching bits touching. And, uh, you know, I I think it is, it's a perfectly fine mainstream comedy. Uh, I don't think it's... It's not high cinema or one of my favorite movies of the 80s, but I do think it's all right. It's not... Yeah. I, you're not a fan. Am I right about that? Well, I mean, I think it's all right. I'm not a giant fan of it, and I don't... It, it kind of seemed like a more natural fit for the kind of stuff that Robin Williams was known for as a stand-up comedian, which is kind of stream of consciousness or seeming stream of consciousness, like wind him up and watch him go kind of a thing. Yeah. Uh, and uh, there was definitely an element of that in in good morning Vietnam, but, uh, you know, it, it was a successful movie. People love the movie. It was a serious movie. And here again, I'm going to transition. I'm going to pivot a little bit, Steve here in our freewheeling comedy discussion and, and, and say like, you know, it's kind of weird that the eighties and we talked about this before, uh, the eighties kind of were good at like mixing genres and in what you what you had in Good Morning Vietnam was on the one hand you had comedy, uh, a lot of it supplied by just the stuff that the main character says in the film, but it's also a movie that's set in Vietnam and it also has drama. So that mixture is kind of interesting, and it really really became huge in the in the eighties. Um, the sort of mixing genres, like you know, you had rom romantic comedy comedies okay now obviously those have been around forever but then you had like serious action movies that were also comedies they were funny but they were also serious and here we get 
like Eddie Murphy is a prime example of that movement, right? I mean, you have 48 Hours, which is hilarious and is a drop-dead serious action film at the same time. Sure. Uh, and then you have um, Midnight Run with Robert De Niro, another kick-ass, hilarious film with some kick-ass action. Yeah, and, one, of my, uh, one of my favorite, not only comedies, but one of my favorites of the decade, yes. Midnight Run is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Midnight Ryan is fantastic. Definitely one of the best films of the decade. And uh, and then, you know, you have Beverly Hills Cop, which is basically just revolves around the notion of an action hero who's also hilarious and, and, and is played by a stand-up comedian, specifically Eddie Murphy. And those movies were gigantic hits, of course. They just oh, exploded in the middle of the decade. And... Uh, you know, and we still kind of feel their uh, their weight to this day because there's there's multiple series going right now that are, you know, comedy action films. You know, and yeah, again, it didn't really exist so much before that. Well, I want to go back to just Eddie Murphy for a minute because I know we we kicked off the series with talk of Arnold Schwarzenegger, but you make a pretty strong argument that Eddie Murphy maybe was maybe even the biggest star of the decade. And he had a trajectory that just went up and up and up and uh, started, you know, he he didn't do anything in the 70s because he was still in high school at the time. <laughs> like uh, Eddie Murphy famously joined Saturday Night Live when he was like 19. And unlike <laughs> Chevy Chase, like the stories, it's kind of nice to hear that the stories of Eddie Murphy when he was a cast member are actually all really delightful. Like everybody said, he was uh, he was a sweetheart, and they liked him. And he was on the show at a time when, like, the show was bombing. People thought it was going to get canceled, but the one highlight was young Eddie Murphy. And then he took off into the movies, and I don't know if, it, you know, it's a combination of talent and, uh, and luck and, I guess, wisdom in the projects he chose, but... I mean, Eddie Murphy made like hit after hit after hit in the eighties. I mean, yeah, yeah. four days. They were so good, man. Yeah. Trading places, coming to America. I mean, all of these movies are kind of still classics. I mean, coming to America is about to come out. Uh, the sequel, right? The second one's about to come out. Yeah, on on, on streaming. I'm gonna see it. You're gonna see I it. Just, of course. I just recently uh, rewatched Coming to America, and. Uh, Again, it has some uh, un-PC bits, of course. <laughs> but, Thank God. But uh, it is, it's still really, really funny. And uh, as an aside, like, I know he had the talk show, but, like, Arsenio Hall is so fucking funny in that movie. He's great. It, it's really kind of mind-boggling he didn't become a bigger star. <laughs> yeah. Because, I, I mean, can... he's every bit as funny as Eddie Murphy is in that movie. Well, he's got a lot of funny lines, and he nails every one of them. Yeah, Arsenio Hall is a really, really good actor. I, I, I don't know what what the hell happened. I have it. It may have been the Chevy Chase thing that we discussed earlier, or just the fact that he became so successful on television that it was just like, well, why did he need to act in movies, which is actually hard, as opposed to sitting there nodding your head, you know, to vacuous uh, Hollywood type guests on your own show, you know? Yeah. So, I, I mean, know. one thing about both those guys and that later on became almost a downfall of Eddie Murphy is that like those guys, I think were smart about their money and they made a lot of money. And then they got to the point where they just had so much money and they were so famous that I think it kind of just became almost 
they'd like look around and be like, well, I could leave the house, but that seems like kind of a pain in the ass. So uh, maybe I'll just sit here and be rich. <laughs> yeah, man, it's uh, it's tough. It's it's very tough, especially for comedians. You know, com- most stand-up comedians like they just do like when they're good. It's usually a result of like a lot of dues paying. You know what I mean? It's it's a lot of road time. It's a lot of hard living. So, you know, I, you, it's hard to blame guys like that and women like that for taking the money when they get a chance. Sure, it's easier to do a TV sitcom than it is to do a movie like 48 Hours. It's a lot easier, you know. Uh, it's a cushy job, frankly. But, uh, you know, Eddie, Eddie did not settle. Eddie was comfortable as a movie star. And uh, it worked pretty damn well for him for a while. I think the reason I have to, you know, put him a little bit be, be behind Arnold Schwarzenegger is because Arnold was able to kind of keep that career going for at least one more decade, which Eddie, you know, Eddie kind of flamed out in the 90s, you know, uh, and uh, it just wasn't wasn't quite as happening as it was before. But, man, the 80s, he was the best. What do you think of yeah. Steve Martin? Where are you with Steve Martin? Another oh, I love Steve Martin. I was, re- yeah, I was uh, reminded of uh, Roxanne as a very great Steve Martin movie, which is, of course, if anybody's forgotten or didn't know, it's uh, the Cyrano de Bergerac story, but uh, updated for the 80s. That's, That's a right. great movie. Uh, All of Me is a Steve Martin comedy I remember liking quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Steve Martin is, um, it's kind of interesting. I think about Steve Martin, I think about Richard Pryor in the 80s and how those are both stand-up guys. And especially, like, looking back, Richard Pryor in the 80s almost seemed kind of sad. Like, almost like it yeah. was just, like, extremely neutered Richard Pryor. He was, he, w- he was neutered, and he also seemed damaged. His timing seemed off. He wasn't yeah. dangerous like he was in the 70s. And, you know, and there's a reason for that, obviously. But well, yeah. uh, but but Steve Martin was able, you know, he was not a drug casualty. No. So uh, he was able to, he, he was pretty smart. And Steve Martin's made actually some some pretty interesting movies that he... Interesting movies, wrote, right? Yeah, wrote or directed. And um, and kind of he did continue that. Like, obviously he doesn't make as many, but um, yeah, I... I'm a fan of Steve Martin's work, and I obviously I was too young to see his stand-up stuff. But uh, do you like Steve Martin movies? I'm okay with Steve Martin. I mean, I'm not. Uh, I don't feel that Steve Martin is a great actor. I think Steve Martin has been used effectively as an actor in some films. Uh, I think with Steve Martin, you, I always see a guy who's acting and who's trying, whether it's to be funny or to be dramatic. Uh, so on some level, Steve Martin doesn't connect with me very much. But what does, Steve Martin does have going for him is impeccable taste. Uh, as a stand-up comedian, he's funny. But as an actor, he kind of leaves me cold. But but again, his impeccable taste makes him pick some very interesting films. And one of my favorites from the 80s is uh, is called Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid. You've ever, you ever see that film? Steve? I never Dead have. Men Don't I know what you're talking about. I re- you know, it's funny. I've never seen it, but I really... I always remember seeing uh, the box in like video stores <laughs> and wondering what was going on with that. 
It's got a great poster, and and uh, Carl Reiner directed it. Strangely enough, talk about old timer comedian. Um, he directed that film, and the concept of that film is basically intercutting scenes from old movies with new material filmed, starring Steve Martin uh, in uh, period like thirties, forties, you know, fedora, cigarettes kind of a vibe. And kind of intercutting it with a bunch of old movies they got rights to, and inter interplaying with old movie stars. So you see, you know, Humphrey Bogart show up, and you see Mitchum show up, and you see all these these great female actors show up from the '40s and '30s. So it's a great concept. It definitely falls in the category of uh, the spoof, not, not dissimilar to. Uh, Young Frankenstein or Airplane or Top Secret, so it kind of falls into that thing. And that movie was not kindly kindly received, I think. I think it was a little bit gimmicky, and the jokes weren't as funny as they should have been, perhaps. Or maybe it was just people were just like, what the fuck is this? If I want to watch Humphrey Bogart, I'll just watch Humphrey Bogart. But, uh, but you know, what can I tell you? It, I, I kind of like that movie. And it looks beautiful. Like, it's all black and white, obviously. And, and it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. And it's got, you know, it's got a lot of fun cameos, obviously. Yeah, so well, I Steve recommend Mar- Yeah, Steve Martin and Carl Reiner, you know, they did a number of movies together. Of course, uh, The Jerk. Which is awesome, but there's that, and then the man. I forgot that Reiner directed that. Yeah, that's interesting. I love the jerk. The jerk was like '79, right? It was just yeah, before yeah. the decade. Yeah. That's that's my favorite Steve Martin in that movie. Like he's still in uh, absolute goofball mode, and uh, it works really well. Like with Steve Martin, I think because Steve Martin is kind of conventionally handsome and could, you know, like could probably carry the screen at virtually any decade of the history of Hollywood, frankly, uh, I think they didn't really know what to do with him. So, you know, at first they just try to do the goofy Steve Martin, which was kind of his act, right? Uh, But then they try to, like, slide him into different kind of stuff. Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid was definitely one of them. And then there was another movie that was literally set in the 30s that we talked about uh, on our last episode, which was... uh, uh, Pennies from Heaven, which is a musical in which he does a lot of dancing and uh, like not just physical comedy, but, you know, dance choreographed stuff, which is difficult and not everybody can do. And he does it very well in that film, actually. And and, and I think that's uh, that may be my other favorite Steve Martin performance. Uh, so the jerk, totally goofball Steve Martin and uh, Pennies from Heaven, the kind of the tragic uh, delusional Steve Martin. If you if you've ah, seen yes. if you've seen the film, I don't want to spoil anything, um, or I don't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll spoil anything. It doesn't matter. Uh, but uh, but it's funny talking about Carl Reiner. I guess you have to just slide into his progeny, the the handsome and debonair Rob Reiner, yes. uh, who of course his first film came out in the eighties and. Well, that's an all-time great, right? This is Spinal Tap. This is Spinal Tap. Yes, one of the all-time classic comedies. Uh, yeah, yeah, one of the funniest movies ever made. I'm sorry. Uh, even if you don't fully grasp the hilarity of the whole rock and roll documentary thing, which is hilarious in its own way, um, and it is in a way kind of a spoof as well, right? I mean, it spoofs documentaries 
about big rock stars that were kind of popular in the seventies, you know, films like give me shelter. And, uh, what was that? Uh, Led Zeppelin one, uh, the song remains the same. Oh, the song remains the same. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, no. uh, go, ahead. go on, Steve. I, I don't know. What, what can we say? It's freaking spinal tap. Everybody. Yeah. Seen and it. it's, it's also, uh, it, it's funny. It's one of, the, it's the first big Christopher guest, like hit movie. And it's, it's really yeah. interesting because, you know, Christopher guests, uh, a lot of the actors, like the, the three main actors who play the band play the tap, uh, you know, they went, all three of those guys went on to appear in almost every Christopher guest movie. Uh, but you know, Christopher guest did not direct spinal tap. Like uh, Rob Reiner was very much a, a part of the whole, he, he directed it and co-wrote the whole thing with those guys. Totally, uh, totally. Also responsible for one of my favorite little jokes in all of cinema is uh, there's a part where they're going through the reviews of the Spinal Tap albums. Uh-huh. And uh, when they get to the review of the album Shark Sandwich. Shark Sandwich. You can hear the, <laughs> the director says it was just a two-word review. Shit Sandwich. And you can see Christopher Guest breaks on camera because he legit did not know that was coming. <laughs> like if you watch that, knowing that, uh, it uh, you see him give a legit Christopher Guest laugh. So uh, I, that's I good. Love it. I love uh, it. It's hey, so good. you know, a little aside, a shout out to Physical Media. If anybody has the Spinal Tap DVD, or you can track it down, I own it. Uh, they do the commentary track in character. So the the band Spinal Tap does the whole commentary track, and it's it's fantastic. It's like having another Spinal Tap movie literally on top of the actual Spinal Tap movie. It's freaking. Yeah. It's it's one of the greatest commentaries of all time, and maybe we should do a, an episode on this forgotten art form of the movie soundtrack uh, commentary. Right? Yeah. Uh, it's, well, I uh, want to say Rob Reiner has one of those quietly one of like my favorite careers that, you know, the guy, obviously Hollywood progeny, his dad was super famous. Uh, he appeared on, you know, this iconic TV show for many years, all in the family. And then he moves over into directing and you're like, I mean, I, I, I can only imagine like the eye rolling when people heard he was going to direct a movie. Right. Like, right. <laughs> like Carl Reiner's son Meathead says he's going to direct movies, you know, oh, and Meathead's going to do a movie now. Yeah, sure. you're like, sure. And uh for a solid decade there, a little more, like almost every Rob Reiner movie was good. Yeah, I mean, one hit after another, man. One hit after another, not just comedies too, like quickly slid into dramatic films, like A Few Good Men, right? I mean, that's Yeah, he did A Few Good Men. Well, and also, I mean, some of those movies, like Stand By Me, The Princess Bride, When Harry right. and Sally, Misery, these are all, like, pretty classic, beloved movies here. Yeah, yeah, and all very well done. No, he's he's definitely a talented guy. Um, and um, Spinal Tap, I mean, kind of swinging back to that, did, was that the first mockumentary, Steve? I mean, I cannot think of, a like, a mock documentary film prior to this is spinal tap can you think of one not like a feature length uh i know there were little comedic shorts here and there i would hear about and like and skits but nothing that long i also wonder if it was the first historians can come after me but was that the first improv movie 
Because I know that movie was done the way that all Christopher Guest movies since have been done, and a lot of other, even, you know, there are even some people who make non-comedy movies, where that movie has, like, every scene would have kind of an outline. Right. But there wasn't, like, a line-for-line script. So what they would do is they would have a scene and be like, okay, in this scene, you know, it's got these characters, and we need this event to happen. Like, they need to discuss about how the concert was canceled. But then that would be all anybody would know, and then they would just go. And um, I'm not sure if that was the first. It's the one. Of the, it might be the first I'm aware of. Yeah, I I don't know. I it's it's a good question, Steve. I don't know. What I do know is that this this sort of way of making movies became so prevalent. I mean, obviously, Christopher Guest kind of used Spinal Tap as a filmmaking college in a sense, right? I mean, because every other Christopher Guest film following Spinal Tap that he actually directed just follows the same pattern, right? Like you were saying, the loose outline, you know, everything is very character-based, hired some top-notch improvisational talent and just roll cameras. And... Um, and it works pretty well. And then that's that whole format of this mockumentary thing just slid into episodic sitcom television. And, and like every sitcom, you know, in the late nineties, well, particularly at the beginning of the century turned into that, you know, because well, and then the also some of the whole, like the mumble core movement later on in this century and guys like Joe Swanberg from Chicago. Like I know, a lot of those guys adopt the same thing for their movies, and the movies aren't necessarily even comedic. Right, they, right. Uh, and so it's really interesting. It's like so many other things where the originators of the form are like quasi-geniuses at it, but then some of the guys afterwards, they can really wind up with something you hate. That I've seen so many movies in recent years that are so improv that it just makes me angry and it like makes me feel like these guys are lazy. Like, I'm like, you know, just take the time to write a fucking script. Yeah. And yeah. maybe well, you'd improv- wind up with a better movie. Yeah. yeah. Improv is hard and comedy is hard, Steve. And th- th- this is sort of the thing that, you know, it's hard to like overstress it to people who've never made a m- movie or, uh, or just j- are just basically consumers. Uh, Comedy is really friggin' hard, man. Everything is hard about it. It's got to be almost like a, you know, like 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 a magical thing that happens once in a great while to produce a good comedic movie. And the fact that so many great comedies came out of the '80s is again says something about the decade. I mean, I'm I'm again hot take right here, buddy. But uh, the '80s was a better decade for comedy than the '70s was. And it was a better decade for comedies than the 90s was. Um, what do you think? I'll go with you on the 70s. The 90s, I'd have to go through. I'd have to almost like a list them out and have like a battle of the tape. Oh, you know, come like, on, man. <laughs> what, what's the friggin' Spinal Tap from the 90s, dude? I mean, it's a it's a Christopher Guest movie. Well, and that's... <laughs> that's not as good <laughs> as Spinal Tap. Oh, I would argue. I would argue that Best in Show and uh, Waiting for Guffman are just as good as Spinal Tap. But all well, of those movies, yeah, I feel like those movies. Uh, a lot of times, like what's your favorite depends on what world you're from. 
You know, I mean, no, I guess I there's not. We don't know a lot of people from the dog world, but like everybody, oh, that's I, what I, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I thought you were into <laughs> dog showing now. Something you picked up during the COVID. I have met many, many people who like did theater in high school who went through a period where they thought waiting for Guffman was the funniest fucking thing they've ever seen. Like it just <laughs> is such now. I want to do a quick aside about comedy in general and just Christopher Guest and Spinal Tap. You know, again, Christopher Guest, presumably not the editor on this, but as you say, it was like filmmaking school for him. One of the things I really admire about his work and Spinal Tap is that they were ruthless editors. Like, also on that Spinal Tap DVD, you know, they have, like, outtakes, and they basically have a movie's worth of outtakes. Like, they shot tons and tons and tons of course. Of stuff. Well, that's what you need to do when you're improvising, right? Well, but what they were good about is they were like, no, we're going to make, like, a 90-minute comedy. We're not going to make, like, an indulgent three-hour thing. And, like, progressing... It's one of the things I dislike about a lot of Judd Apatow movies, where Judd Apatow will use the same idea where, you know, he might have a little bit more of a script, but leaves lots of room for improv. And then I feel like when he gets in the editing room, he's like, well, that's got to stay in, and that's got to stay in, and that's got to stay in. And then his movies are like, they're two hours and 40 minutes long. And you can't help but think, like, man, if he had just had the Christopher Guest level of discipline... He could have delivered a movie that was a full hour shorter and probably like 10 times better. Yeah, probably. Well, you know, Judd Apatow sucks balls. You know that. <laughs> <laughs> that was actually a line written by Judd Apatow uh, for Knocked Up. Uh, oh, I forgot I, that. I replaced uh, Steely Dan with the words Judd Apatow. And uh, I kind of stand by that statement, too. I think he's, <laughs> he's one of the most, like, radically declining filmmakers I've ever experienced. I've never seen anybody start out so promisingly and then just get shittier and shittier with every consecutive film. It's almost unbelievable. Like, like I, I, I just can't even understand how you could get shittier at your job the more you do it. Uh, but... I'm going to get off my Judd Apatow kick right now, Steve. Well, I, I, got a good, I got a good pivot. So 1984 was Spinal Tap, and another movie in 1984 is one of the biggest movies of the 80s. We kind of lightly touched on here and there. But uh, Ghostbusters. Oh, my God. Huge hit. Huge hit. And, of course, then we have to mention Bill Murray, who was also a giant guy who came out of SNL and may, at the end of the day, be the ultimate product of the Saturday Night Live machine, right? Uh, because of just the longevity of his career and the diversity of his career. Yeah, I mean, he had this whole second act as the kind of, uh, you know, not just Wes Anderson movies, but certainly and has a small part in almost every Wes Anderson movie. Um, so, yeah, his whole second act is kind of beloved India, India muse. But, yeah, I mean, early early 80s bill murray i think all that stuff holds up like i still find him incredibly funny and ghostbusters is i mean not only is it huge but ghostbusters is great like it's it's really entertaining i've yeah, shown it to uh it holds up to like my kids love it like it's just great it it all works that's a good test that's a good test and it's sort of and, and it comes back like 
uh, to the, the the flexibility of the sort of the genre blending that was happening in the eighties, where again here you have comedy mixing with what is essentially science fiction or maybe supernatural tinge science fiction, right? Um, it's it's cool and it works, you know. I mean, there's a lot of science fictiony stuff. You are scared when you need to be scared in Ghostbusters, right? Some of it is is actually genuinely creepy, and some of the ideas in it are kind of creepy, right? I mean, some of the body bodily possession stuff that's going on with with Rick Moranis, like the movie takes that almost kind of seriously in a lot of ways, and uh, and it's interesting. Yeah, Ghostbusters is cool, and uh, and. Wow, talk about a gigantic hit. Holy shit, man. That movie was a blockbuster. Yeah, we probably anything else we've talked about. We mentioned it a little bit like with our uh our music podcast, but like that movie you know, like you know, this had song like the the silly Ghostbuster song was the number one song in America. Probably yeah. just just because of how much the country loved Ghostbusters. Right, right, right. Because that song by itself, I don't think, would really get you much more beyond the lawsuit by Huey Lewis, right? Yeah. Uh, but but in context of Ghostbusters, the Ghostbusters mania, man, number one hit. Beautiful. Yeah. Who and, are you going to uh, call? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, a shout out to uh, to Dan Aykroyd. He was one of the writers of that movie. Like, uh, it's kind of funny. My understanding of the Dan Aykroyd-Bill Murray relationship would be like the Dan Aykroyd would come up with like different wacky ideas and then have to go around trying to persuade Bill Murray or his other buddies to like actually do the idea. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He has to sell it. And you could you could actually visualize Dan Aykroyd doing the sales job, right? The the like like really really heavy selling. You could see him do it cuz he's played these characters in so many SNL skits. This sort of fast talking, you know, like sales dude. And you could totally see him convincing Bill Murray to do fucking Ghostbusters when Bill Murray's probably like, "Nah, I don't know, man. That seems kind of goofy." Yeah. But uh, but you know, what are you gonna say, man? Supposedly, he's he's been chasing Bill Murray to do Ghostbusters three for like two decades now. Oh, I thought that was gonna happen. Well, is that we, happening? The, the last time I ever heard about it was uh, he hired these young guys to to write a script. Like Dan Aykroyd wasn't the main writer. He hired these other guys to write a script, and then Bill Murray's like, okay. And then he saw some other movie those guys wrote that was terrible. Bill Murray's like, I don't even want to see it. Yeah, yeah, I, it's he, he's he's a he's a tough one to pin down. But the, also, I want to give a shout out to Chicago's own uh, Harold Ramis, who was yes. uh, a real driving force behind that that whole team. And uh, definitely, you know, uh, Bill Murray owes that guy his career. Uh, may he rest in peace. I'm Bill yeah. Murray, Harold Ramis. Uh, I had a great fortune of working with Harold one time, and uh, he was a great guy. Lo- absolutely loved working with him, and uh, and uh, it's it's sad. It's sad that he's gone. Uh, but uh, let's lighten things up again, and uh, again, come back to the notion of this genre mixing. And here again, you had... So you had the science fiction and, and, and comedy, right? Then you had the weirdest genre mixing of the decade for me, which was animation and live-action comedy. And then, of course, you have Roger Rabbit, who framed Roger Rabbit, right? I mean, whoa. 
that movie's pretty funny. Does that hold up for you? I haven't seen it in a long time. I remember liking it quite a bit. Uh, you know, it's a little, it's interesting. It's like really hits that sweet spot of like, is it too racy for children? You know, like it's, it's, <laughs> it's really a little like, racy. Yeah, but, but it's, I think it's kids like could right still watch. I think there's enough silliness in it that kids enjoy it. At least kids in the '80s. I don't know what modern kids enjoy, Steve. But uh, well, I kind of do. But uh, we don't want to talk about it. But uh, <laughs> but but no, I th- I think I think the movie holds up really really well. And 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 again, I think there's a there's a secret MVP of the of the movie comedy of the '80s behind the scenes in Who Framed Roger Rabbit, right? Are we talking about Robert Zemeckis? You sure the hell are, Steve. Bob Zemeckis, who was, of course, huge. uh, And still kind of huge to some extent. But, man, the 80s were good to Zemeckis, right? He had Roger Rabbit, Back to the Future. What else did he do? There's a bunch of other stuff. Romance in the Stone, a Mm -hmm. movie I, uh, I haven't seen in a long time, but I used to love, yeah. Zemeckis directed that? Yes, he did. Holy shit! How come I was not, I was not aware of that? Yeah, that's not a bad film. And again, that's a sort of an action adventure, action comedy, slash yeah. comedy. Again, comedy just pops out, and and you know, pretty pretty deep comedy pops out. Uh, yeah, Z- you know, Zemeckis is places. he's an interesting guy. You know, he went on to do Forrest Gump. He's one of those directors who, uh, in recent years, it almost seems like he got so in the special effects. That uh, yeah, he yeah. kind of just disappeared and making things like that Beowulf movie and the Polar Express. Like, they started to do things where the, the special effectness almost overwhelmed the movie. But, you know, he's certainly, that guy was major player to, you know, Forrest Gump and things later. But, um, yeah, Zemeckis is also one of those guys who, to me, even though he was a peer of Spielberg, just seemed very much like Spielberg-esque, you know, that his, yes, just his taste, his directing style, that Spielberg just looms so large over the eighties that like, when I think of guys like Zemeckis, there have like some of Zemeckis's movies just feel like they were Spielberg movies, even if Spielberg had nothing to do with them. Yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. There is definitely a Spielbergian vibe to a lot of what Zemeckis does. And, you know, of course, they, they partnered on a bunch of stuff. So obviously yeah. have similar, you know, similar tastes and outlooks on certain things. It, it, it worked pretty well, especially in the 80s. And especially, you know, all of these films we mentioned, which were all really good, you know, and uh, all really worked and were successful as well. It's It's just a weird... It's kind of a weird combination of stuff that's actually good and actually successful. Like these days, that's that's kind of, that's kind of rare, man. Like like a lot, there's a lot of successful things and there's a lot of good things, but very rarely do they come together these days, Steve. And yeah, back in the eighties, they came together all the time. Well, and Zemeckis is good because Zemeckis had like filmmaking chops too. That uh, yeah, one, big time. One of the things that happens a lot in comedy, and it's it's kind of interesting because it it's not a deal breaker but because you can make a comedy where if like the script is funny and the actors are funny then you can have really boring pedestrian direction and as long as it's edited okay you can still have a pretty good movie you know if sure the, if the Easily. jokes land but of you course. know if you, 
if you're guys like you and me, it's uh, sometimes it gets a little boring to be like, you know, like, well, we've got this whole movie and it's all just like wide shot, close up, close up, wide shot, medium, you know, like it's and uh, and I know, especially for the improv guys, sometimes they purposely don't move the camera much because they never know when they're going to cut, you know, like you just have to roll forever on a guys telling jokes. But but Zemeckis is different. Like Zemeckis can direct a non-comedic movie quite well like he's he's not Absolutely. reliant just on the jokes yeah. no no he's a fine he's a fine director but yeah i agree with you there's you know there's been a little little zemeckis disconnect but you know everybody everybody has their time especially comedy right comedy is, is such a fleeting art form i mean so few comedians have careers that surpass like 20 years, you know, at the height of their game, you know, and uh, and you could see that in virtually everybody we talked about on this episode. Comedy is not forever, Steve. It's not forever. Uh, and neither is our show because, uh, boy, I feel myself running out of gas. But before we go, you want to you want to have a quick lightning round? you know name off some of your favorite comedies of the decade yeah and actually there's a whole bunch of them kind of in the in the late 80s that some of my favorite movies of all time i mean like uh speaking of people with filmmaking chops that there were these two brothers uh you know from minnesota lived in new york who made a film noir movie that was a little bit well received yeah and then uh i wasn't expecting that their second movie would be one of my favorite comedies of all time which is raising arizona oh yes and uh, so we, I mean, we we've discussed raising Arizona before. We probably don't need to say a lot more about it, but that's very much an '80s comedy. We and probably also, talked more about raising Arizona than we have about any other film in the history of our podcast. <laughs> like, if you cumulatively combine all the conversation, I think raising Arizona would be way ahead of everything else. I could be well, wrong. Well, the other movie I want to mention real quick is uh, from also from 1987 is uh, Broadcast News. Oh, interesting. Yeah, which again is another one of those dramedies, I guess. Dramedy, yes, yes. But, you know, has some very funny bits in it. Um, also effectively use uh, Albert Brooks, who's a guy I'm often not on the same wavelength for. And obviously he's just an actor in this movie. It's not. Absolutely, absolutely. Albert Brooks is very good in the movie, and, and he works. You know, like like his his archetype works. He, he doesn't always work for me, although I've liked him in a lot of films. But he, again, it, it's that connection issue. It's like, do you connect to the comedic archetype on, on the screen? And, and some people just don't. Uh, but some people do quite a bit, right? So Yeah, and I, I don't know if Albert I've ever... I don't know if I've ever told you this, Andre, but uh, I saw broadcast news when I was like first time when I was in high school. And uh, when the movie was over, I went into a bathroom and almost lightly cried because I actually saw the Albert Brooks character as like a nightmare version of myself. <laughs> like, like if I if I played my cards wrong, I would wind up like that. Oh <laughs> so my god! I was like, I took it was weird that movie scarred me is almost like a cautionary tale like don't turn into Albert Brooks <laughs> don't turn on to ironically that character is remarkably successful in that film <laughs> he's like a network correspondent yeah it's kind of a bitter <laughs> guy though yeah i know he's he's an asshole and, and we in, should in that movie we uh, should it, mention both of those movies have something very important in common besides the year is uh Holly Hunter 
What a yeah. great what a great year for Holly Hunter, nineteen eighty seven. Breakout breakout for Holly Hunter. That's right. It's never been as good for her career wise than that. But she's great. Well, she I did win her. an Oscar later, but Oh, yeah. Good point. Well, I guess I, I stand corrected once again, Steve. What can we do? Uh, and uh, what, what what's yeah. the movies you want to mention? We lightly touched well, on. Yeah, well, go ahead. I feel like, I, feel like the, the, I, I always felt like there was this weird connection between broadcast news and Tootsie because they both kind of take place in the world of television production. Uh, and Tootsie was, of course, a giant, giant successful comedy of the 80s and it won an Oscar right and and people won Oscars for being in it and and I haven't seen Tootsie in a few years have you seen Tootsie recently you know I not that recent but I know we we studied the shit out of that movie in uh college it's one uh -huh. of those movies that's really held up as an example of where all the Hollywood things worked like you know like they hired the screenwriter and the script worked and the direction worked and the star like I don't know right. it's like it's it doesn't have like a wacky production story it has a like it's a movie where everything worked the way it's supposed to work in terms right. of how it was made so uh it 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 is charming but yeah it's i don't know it's a little bit not my not my bag it's not my bag either and and you know i enjoy the film and bill murray is actually my favorite part of that film uh but uh but yeah, I, I don't know. I'm a little, I'm a little cold on Tootsie, and I'm not sure how well it's uh, aged into its the current climate. But I haven't seen it in a few years, so I don't know. And I, I don't know what 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 kind of call to make. But I would not put Tootsie on my list of favorite comedies of the '80s. I would put Moonstruck on that list, though. That movie's friggin' great. Moonstruck is great. Yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah. know what else well, to say about it. Yeah, it's freaking yeah. great. It's hilarious, well-written. It's kind of insightful. It's got a lot of memorable characters, a lot of memorable scenes. I mean, every performance is freaking awesome in the movie. And if you haven't seen it, you should see it. It's It'll it'll put a big smile on your face. And God knows we need that smile right now. Um, yeah. And we, we and, mentioned earlier a little bit, and we kind of did a quick little thing about Midnight Run, but Midnight Run is also great and holds up absolutely. fantastic. And uh, in one of my, I mean, maybe even like top five De Niro performances. I would agree. Uh, like, the, like that was the movie De Niro proved that he was funny and that yeah. he could be funny while basically playing your kind of basic De Niro asshole character, uh, which was interesting. So so they kind of retrofitted De Niro into a comedy, and, man, it works great. And, and again, good good script, good casting, good direction. Boom. You got – it works. It works. And uh, and, I, and I really like that whole action comedy thing. I mean, I, I love the action comedy. I love, I love Midnight Run. I love 48 Hours. That's another one of my favorites. I t we talked about it earlier in the season. Just, just super fun. I, um, I will say, I mean, Spinal Tap, we already mentioned, definitely one of my favorite films of the decade. Um, Woody Allen, we talked about as well, had an enormously strong output in the 80s. My favorite of his from that era is Hannah and Her Sisters uh, because it is the funniest. I mean, with Crimes and Misdemeanors is a close second, but that's a considerably more serious film. Yeah, uh, I would. I, uh, 
I wouldn't even consider that a comedy. Yeah, barely yeah. a comedy. But it's got some funny stuff, though. I mean, Alan Alda. I mean, there's some very funny things in, in Crimes and Misdemeanors, but uh, Hannah and Her Sisters is uh, is pretty hilarious. Has an incredible cast. Everybody gets to shine and do excellent work. And uh, if uh, talk about the comedic archetype that doesn't connect with everybody, uh, Woody Allen himself is really only a side character in the movie. Now he's a major side character. I'm not going to kid you. He's not a. It's not a cameo, but uh, but there's so many great performances in that film that if just a sight of Woody Allen irritates you, well, there's tons of other people to look at, and, uh, <laughs> and it's 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 really 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 funny. Uh, but, um, you know, top secret airplane, I almost kind of put those together and just the way I put back to school and easy money together to, to a large extent, all of those really stand out as some of the best comedies of the decade. Do you have a number one, Steve, number one for you? I I mean, I'd probably go raising Arizona for number one, but, uh. I will throw you uh, another little curveball also from the apparently fantastic year of 1987 is Evil Dead Part 2. Whoa. You see, there you go. That movie's hilarious. Horror comedy. Funny. Holds up. Very influential. And again, I mean, there were horror comedies going back to the 40s, Steve, but there's something about the way they did it in the 80s that really clicked and it wasn't just Abbott and Costello meets the werewolf or the wolfman sorry uh it 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 had more punch to it you know more originality it wasn't just implanting comedians into another genre it there was thought behind it and evil dead 2 is a prime example evil dead 1 was pretty good as well and yeah. so was army of darkness is pretty freaking awesome as well uh but um I don't know. My favorite, like number one, if there's a drum roll, we have no drum roll. We just have drums, but uh, <laughs> no roll. Um, my favorite is uh, another movie we talked about in a previous episode, which is uh, Martin Scorsese's After Hours. Uh, ah. I, I, I watched it again recently. It's in many ways, it's even funnier than I remember. It's got just awesome performances. Griffin Dunn is just spectacular in the movie. I amazed he did not have a bigger career after that film and um i i like to push that film because i find that a lot of people have not seen it and it ages pretty well it's a cool movie in every respect it's funny it's very funny um but it's also kind of brilliantly conceived and constructed by scorsese and uh and here again like scorsese kind of proves that he can make a funny movie like a genuinely funny movie. And he's proved it again. But I think after King of Comedy, which wasn't that funny, um, he needed to make, he needed to prove it one more time. And he did it very well with After Hours. But unfortunately, nobody gave a shit at the time or now to some extent. So again, check out After Hours. If you get a chance, it's on uh, HBO Max, right as we speak. I'd just like to say, if you want a little insight to my uh, sense of humor, uh, while not an overall comedy, some of the biggest laughs I got out of the 80s are in the movie Blue Velvet. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's some dark shit there, Steve. Dennis Hopper yelling about 
how you should drink Pabst Blue Ribbon is up there for me in funny moments. Well, there's so many hilarious moments that that happen in 80s movies that are like that are kind of surprising that they happen in those movies like uh, River's Edge, for example, which we talked about, which is kind of a dark film. It's got some hilarious shit in that movie. I mean, really, really funny lines and funny sequences and funny performances. And it's no people don't think of that as a comedy. And I guess it's not. But um uh, and there's some hilarious stuff in the river's edge. Check it out. But uh, that's really all. That's all I got, Steve. I'm, I'm all out of funny. <laughs> yeah, we should uh, take our cue from Christopher Guest and edit the sucker down. <laughs> I don't know about that, but uh, what can I say? We'll, uh, we'll see you next time. I'm Andre Shane. I'm Steve Haskin. We'll